This is the Green Street News, the environmental health show. Patty and Doug Wood, welcome back. Everybody has a cell phone. They become extensions of ourselves, literally and figuratively. A recent survey of couples revealed that almost half of American adults consider themselves addicted to their phones, while 71% said they check their phones within 10 minutes of waking up. Walk down the street, see how many people you can find who are not either holding their phone in their hand or talking on it. We're obsessed. And curiously, at the same time, most people have a vague awareness that constant use of their cell phone may carry a degree of risk. Despite the efforts of the cell phone industry to sponsor and promote scientific studies that purport to show no risk, the fact is that the evidence of biological harm is beginning to pile up. On today's show, we'll look carefully at two studies promoted heavily by the cell phone industry, and we'll hear one woman's story of dealing with her husband's brain tumor, which developed after years of heavy cell phone use. This is the Green Street News. Stay with us. Okay, so we have a couple of scientific studies to talk about today. Yeah, so the first one is the Moby Kid study, and this was a large epidemiological study designed to see if cell phones cause brain tumors in young people. So let me read what the FDA website has to say about it. Okay. A large epidemiological study of the effects of cell phones in young adults aged between 10 and 24 was completed across 14 countries in Europe. Known as the MobiKid study, the case control study was conducted to evaluate whether wireless phone use, particularly the resulting exposure to RF and extremely low frequency electromagnetic fields, increases risk of brain tumors in young people. The 899 subjects with brain tumors and the 1900 age match controls were described as regular cell phone users. The study concluded that there was no evidence of a link between cell phone use and brain tumors in young people. Okay. Okay. So that sounds like good science, but was it? It turns out that there were some serious design flaws with the study. First of all, these thousands of teenagers were asked to remember exactly how they used their phones five or six years ago. Hmm. They were asked about other kinds of exposures, but memories are vague, and the resulting data is only as accurate as the memory of the teenagers. Mm -hmm. Second, parents were asked about their exposures during pregnancy, and again, the researchers were asking about exposures that might have taken place 15 to 20 years ago. So there are questions about the accuracy of that information as well. And also in the study, not all brain tumor cases were included, only those occurring in certain areas of the brain. Given that we really don't know how different areas of the brain might be affected by RF radiation, that seemed like a bad decision all brain tumors should have been included. And we don't really know how long it takes for brain cancer to develop, right? Well, right. Every person is unique. Some tumors may develop quickly. Others take more time. So grade one and two brain tumors are non-cancerous or benign tumors that tend to grow quite slowly. Grade three and four brain tumors are cancerous or malignant tumors that grow more quickly and are more difficult to treat. So when we're talking about kids who are 10 years old, how much cancer did we expect? There was no follow-up, so we don't know if they developed brain cancer the next year even. And the control group was restricted to appendicitis patients only. You know, I saw that, appendicitis patients. I don't understand. I mean, was there some particular reason that they picked them? I don't know. That, that, was, that was strange. So in the end, this kind of study may not be very accurate. According to Dr. Joel Moskowitz, director of the Center for Family and Community Health at the School of Public Health, UC Berkeley, 
the Moby kids' results are not biologically plausible and indicate that the study was flawed due to methodological problems. The results as reported in the Moby kids' study seem uninterpretable and should be dismissed. So this is the problem with these epidemiological studies because we're, trying, we're hoping people remember exactly how they use the phones, right? And, and besides, you know, with all the RF radiation in the world today, how do you find a control group that hasn't been exposed? I mean, how do you find one? Yeah. And Who's of course, not exposed? And this is on the front page. This is on the page of the FDA website that talks about children and cell phones. And it says, there's no evidence of a link between cell phone use and brain tumors in young right. people. Right. That wasn't the only study that we wanted to talk about no, today. No, so, so, you know, there's two other studies that have been brought up recently. One is the Danish cohort study. So this is the Danish cohort study, and it was established with support from two Danish telecom companies, TeleDenmark Mobile and Sonophone. The study was actually conducted by the Industry-Friendly International Epidemiology Institute, or IEI. A cohort of cell phone exposed persons was established based entirely on two Danish telecom operating companies' cell phone subscriptions from 1982 to 1995. Two-thirds of the subscriptions began in 1994 and 1995, so the majority of the exposed cohort members had two years or less of subscription time. Health records were reviewed and the exposed group's risk was compared to the corresponding risk within the rest of the adult population. Follow-ups were published in 2002, 2007, and 2011. The study found no evidence of any increased risk of brain or nervous system tumors or any cancer among mobile phone subscribers. But hold on, let's look at the study's flaws and the clear conflict of interest. Importantly, the study's author's definition of exposed people excluded corporate subscribers who were likely heavy cell phone users, mm -hmm. and they were placed in the control group of unexposed people. Exposed persons were both individuals who rarely use their cell phones and those who were heavy cell phone users. Under pressure to justify their conclusion, the study's authors even state, quote, because we excluded corporate subscriptions, mobile phone users who do not have a subscription in their own name will have been misclassified as unexposed. This is the, the study's, the study's admit authors right the study. admitting okay. this. Okay. In addition, no information was gathered on cordless or wireless landline phone use, which exposes people to the same RF radiation as a cell phone. Thus, persons using a cordless phone for multiple hours a day were also considered unexposed. Dr. Christopher Portier, former director of the ETP, which is the Environmental Toxicology Program at the NIEHS, and associate director of the NTP National Toxicology Program, commented on the Danish cohort study as follows, quote, there is a serious problem with exposure misclassification, and the study is useless for any decision making. So, so that's the Danish cohort study. That one, you know, was flawed because of, you know, them just mixing up the exposed and the unexposed people that were involved in the study. And what happens if you mix those up is you'll never see the differences between the two groups, right? Because you've got That's exposed right. people on both sides. You've got exposed people on both sides or in both cohorts, so to speak. 
You know, I think it's worth in, it's worth pointing out that these kinds of studies, the ones that show quote no risk, right. no right. increased risk, are supported and sponsored and promoted by the cell phone industry that has unlimited amounts of money to make sure that their story gets out in right. how we, in whatever way That's they right. can. That's exactly Whereas right. independent science uh, scientists who are finding some sort of biological problem, you know, from exposure to RF radiation, their studies don't get reported. And the result is that the public perception is there aren't any studies that show harm. Right. And the telecoms get away with saying that, oh, there are no studies. There's just no... And you and I have There's those... No science. You and I have those binders, those three-inch thick binders. <laughs> there are three of them now. Yeah. And that's just a, a sampling of the science. And when we go to talk to people about this... We bring in these big, giant, you know, and and they're astonished. Things. We plunk them down on the right. table. They're you know, astonished that they there's make, that much science showing this, harm from RF radiation. Yeah, they they're can't astonished. believe it because they've been told there is no That's science. That's right. Okay, let's get to this one because this is and okay. this is the third study that we're going to talk about here. These are the studies that they're that they're pulling out now that we have this class action lawsuit in Washington from you know, users of cell phones who were actually injured by Which them. we're going to hear about in a second. Yeah. Go ahead. So now this is the Million Woman Study. It's the Oxford oh, yeah. Cell Phone Cancer Study. This recently published study in the Journal of the National Cancer Institute concluded that cell phone use did not increase cancer risk. Mm -hmm. The study only surveyed older women, the majority of whom reported using a cell phone for under 30 minutes a week. Under 30 minutes a week. They surveyed the women twice in median years 2001 and 2011, asking them if they never, ever, or daily used a cell phone. The women were then followed through the UK National Health Service's databases on death and cancer. Women who used the phone once a day or those who used their phone for hours a day were all lumped together. Researchers collected no data on the women's use of cordless phone use, another critical source of daily mm -hmm. exposure to RF radiation to the yeah. brain. Yeah. And when the group of cell phone users was compared to those who reported never using a phone, no statistically significant associations were detected between phone use and brain cancer. Again, let's look at the flaws in the study's design through the eyes of one of the study's researchers. Kristen Peary says, quote, the participants in this study were not particularly heavy users of mobile phones, as only 18% of phone users reported talking on a mobile phone for 30 minutes or more each week. As such, we were unable to assess the risks associated with considerably greater levels of exposure." End quote. So nobody assesses these kinds of studies better than Dr. Deborah Davis of Environmental Health Trust, who says, quote, Studies that rely on outdated data are dangerous in the fact that they don't consider how people use cell phones today. Many of today's users are on the cell phone hours a day, and what is termed as heavy use in 2011 is normal use today. When this study was originally started, most people were still using flip phones. Mm -hmm. So wrong ages, wrong questions, wrong exposure information. Combining the numbers of brain cancers in older women reporting daily use and infrequent use of phones substantially lowers the chances of finding a real effect and tells us nothing about younger people that remain the greatest users of these devices, Davis explained. Yeah, yeah. And she continues, although the researchers claim that cell phone use under usual conditions does not increase brain tumor incidence, there is no way to know what usual conditions means. Mm -hmm. 
The uses and users of phones have changed radically even in the past few years with growing numbers of youngsters being exposed to a sea of radio frequency radiation that did not exist a few years ago. End quote. 30 minutes a week. The 30 part, minutes a part, week. That's were, nothing. They were talking to people who, Americans use their phones on an average of uh, between three and four hours a day. Right. They were three talking four about 30 hours minutes a, day. a week. That's 20 hours a week. They're right. talking about... Right. Yeah. Okay. So it's crazy. They were really trying to get to the it's, truth. I'm, I can see that. No, they yeah. weren't trying to get was, to the truth. <laughs> they were trying to get a study that showed that there was no oh, risk. That's, let's let's study old about. women who use the, use the phone half Wait a second. Enough. Be careful on the old woman thing. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> Ellen Marks never planned to be an activist. She and her husband Alan got married after high school. Alan went to medical school but decided it wasn't for him, and he ended up in real estate development and sales. They had three kids. Life in sunny California was good. His job required Alan to be in close contact with his customers, and when the first mobile phones came out, as clunky as they were, they were like a dream come true. In the rough-and-tumble world of real estate development, being in touch could make all the difference between winning and losing. Alan didn't hesitate. He was an early adapter. I think it was, let's see, Mandy is now 36. I think she was about a year old. So that was 1985, yeah, that he got the big one, the big thing you carried around a brick phone. And he had the car phones. I remember we moved to the East Bay of San Francisco and real windy roads and he got me a car phone because he was afraid I was going to get lost in the hills. Ellen Marks, or Ellie as she's known to her friends, recalls those early days when mobile phones were new. You know, he would use it a lot in the car, driving around, which is probably one of the worst places. I used to get angry at how much he used it. You know, I threatened to throw that thing away a couple of times. So the sad part is that he's a really good man. He wanted to provide for his family and do the best. And then his personality started changing probably about three or four years before we knew that this thing was growing. In 2008, Alan was diagnosed with a oligodendroglioma. It's a um, brain tumor that was in his right frontal lobe. And he never had any symptoms other than personality changes, which I feel is important for people to know. If you see extreme changes in a relative or a, lo a friend, loved one, whatever, they really should get an MRI. Because um, he had extreme changes and his doctors apologized to me later that they didn't catch it. So anyhow, um, he was seemingly healthy other than that. He was 56 at the time went to bed the night before we were to leave for our youngest child's college graduation the next day we lived in california she was in colorado and about two o'clock in the morning i heard him making strange noises woke me up and he was unconscious and he was having a grand mal seizure which i had never seen before but i knew immediately what it was it was horrific his whole body was contorting all that so i called 911. paramedics came and it lasted lasted a good 45 minutes until they got him off the bed and onto the gurney and all that. And they would say to him, his eyes were open. And I'd say, Alan, Alan, 
and nothing. And they'd say, Mr. Mark, squeeze my hand, nothing. He it, like he wasn't there. It was a really horrible experience. So anyhow, took him by ambulance to our local hospital in Walnut Creek, California. And within an hour, they told us that he had a brain tumor in his brain, in his right frontal lobe. They actually told him, go home and live with it for five years and die. Our oldest son, Zach, had interned for Senator Kennedy a couple of years prior to that in his private office and witnessed him holding two phones, one to each ear at the same time. He was always on it. People who work there heard about Zach's father and Kennedy and the coincidence. He was, you know, Zach was still in touch with people there. And they said, well, there's a rumor floating around the office that it could have been his cell phone use. I hadn't even thought about this before, but then I started turning on the TV and there's Dr. Deborah Davis and Dr. Keith Black on Larry King Live talking about Kennedy and the possibility that it was his cell phone use. And all of this is while we're waiting for Alan to have his surgery and we're just freaking out because they kept saying lethal brain tumor. I contacted Deborah Davis and Keith Black and Deborah was amazing. She gave me a list of people. She said, send Alan's cell phone records and medical records to all these experts all over the world. And they all got back to me within a few weeks and they said, it is more likely than not that your husband's glioma was caused by his long-term cell phone use. He had a grade two tumor. Grade four is the glioma that's the killer, the glioblastoma multiforme, which a lot of people, including Kennedy, have had. Alan was blessed with more years. And, um, you know, the sad part is, though, that I've come to know a lot of brain tumor patients. And it was really sad when one said to me, the only thing worse than dying from a brain tumor is living with one. One day I got a call from Congressman Kucinich and he wanted to know if my husband could come to Washington, D.C. to testify. And I said, no, he's in no shape to do that post-surgery. And he said, well, will you do it? And I said, absolutely. So I was shocked that I was gonna go testify to Congress. And everybody educated me. I was learning about the science and the corruption. I was just stunned to hear what had gone on all these years because I, like the normal person, thought that if there was a danger to something that everybody's using, our government would take care of it very naive because in reality this is tobacco all over again i did it um september of 2008 i testified to congress and the fcc was right next to me and when congressman kucinich asked them why they haven't changed their exposure limits since 1996 and mind you this was 2008 and we're 14 years later now and they still haven't changed and they've been told to he pointed fingers he said well you guys haven't told us to do it pointing to Congress. And he also made a comment during the question and answer period that the FCC does not have the scientific expertise to do this. So after testifying to Congress, I started hearing from so many other people in the same boat as us people who had brain tumors and thought it was their cell phone, or their doctor told them it was probably their cell phone. And it was shocking to me how many people were affected by this. And they were young. 
Alan was 56 at the time. There were people in their 20s, 30s, 40s. There was one woman who called me. She was a real estate agent. And while she was in practice selling real estate, she kept a phone in each pocket. And her four-year-old died from a glioma. And she thought that was the only reason she could think that her child would get a brain tumor. And the doctors agreed with her. Radiation is the primary cause of a primary brain tumor. And it used to be thought that it was just ionizing radiation. And now we know with all the science that's out there, not the industry funded, the independent science, that non-ionizing radiation is causing brain tumors and other cancers and other deleterious health effects. So I vowed to take on this issue because I knew what it did to my family. And I saw what it was doing to other families. And I said, I can't walk away from this. So I met Nancy Pelosi in person once around that, around 2009. I said, why isn't Congress doing anything about this? Oh, we don't know enough. So, you know, they know more now, but they knew a lot then too. And it just, it's, it's all about corporate greed and their, you know, hold over our government and not putting public health first. I did work with Gavin Newsom. He wanted to do something on this in San Francisco. He was worried when his wife was pregnant. He saw her holding a cell phone to her abdomen. And um, I worked with the Environmental Working Group on that. And we did get legislation passed um, unanimously to post a warning at the point of sale. And the industry sued. They, this is what they do. They were, we had 25 other cities and states waiting to do it. They were writing all of them. And they found out who they were. They were writing all of them letters threatening to sue before they even did anything. Ellie's talking about a right-to-know law, which required that a warning be displayed where phones were sold, advising customers not to hold the phone directly against their bodies. The exact same warning that's included with every cell phone if you dig way down into the legal warnings buried deep inside. So just to be clear, the cell phone companies were threatening to sue any municipality that dared to say what the cell phone companies themselves were saying. They just didn't want anyone to think twice about buying or using a phone. They knew of the danger, and they wanted to control how much the public knew about it. There was a lot of corruption that went on. I witnessed it firsthand. And the law was repealed four years later. And one of the lawyers who helped get it repealed was appointed a federal judge by Obama a few weeks later. Now, if you put the puzzle together, Obama was good friends with Tom Wheeler, who was head of the FCC at the time. And they knew we had 25 cities and states waiting to do this. So the, the puzzle pieces fit together. I got a phone call from Aaron Brockovich one day. And my phone kept ringing and I was working and I wasn't answering it. And finally I thought, I better answer this. I have no idea who it is. And she said, this is Erin Brockovich. And I said, no, who is this really? <laughs> and she said, no. She said, I've been following your work and I want to talk to you about it. She said, I have an attorney for you who wants to take on the cell phone and brain tumor cases. Said, oh my gosh, okay. So she got him on the phone. His name is Hunter Lundy. And we went with him. And I've introduced many plaintiffs to him since, and he has met others too. And he took our case on in 2010. Uh, we're suing for some outrageous amount of money. I don't even know, 800 million or something like that. 
but it's not the money. It, it, I mean, yes, these families do deserve some compensation. Their lives have been destroyed by this, but people need to know. And the fact that some of these cases began in 2001 and they're still going, yes, that's a long time. However, these attorneys are putting their own time and financial resources into this. It validates the fact that there's something to this. They wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't real. By 2005, there were a couple of dozen brain cancer and product liability cases that remained active. And the defendants in those cases wanted them dismissed under federal preemption law. The defendants being AT&T, Verizon, Sprint, all of those, their attorneys, they said, this is federally preempted. The FCC sets the exposure limits. There's no reason for these people to be suing and all that. However, the appellate court in the Fourth Circuit in Baltimore in 2004 said, nope, this is not preempted. And the cases moved forward. So that was one victory for the good guys. The industry then tried to take it to the Supreme Court in 2005, and they denied hearing it. So that meant that the circuit court ruling held and the cases were not preempted. So the cases were remanded back to the states and eventually consolidated in DC Superior Court, which is the process that we're in now. The recent hearing that went for two weeks in Judge Alfred Irving's courtroom um, ended September 30th. What's happening now is that the attorneys on both sides must submit their closing arguments by Thanksgiving. And then Judge Irving will decide if the cases move forward to trial or not. Of course, I and the other plaintiffs and the attorneys who have worked so hard on this hope that they move forward. And you can bet that either way, there's gonna be appeal after appeal after appeal after appeal. So, but eventually, hopefully we see some justice and some progress. You know, not everyone who uses a cell phone will get a brain tumor. I think it was 10% of smokers got lung cancer, but it's still a huge concern because we have an entire population of children, you know, using them and growing up not knowing anything else. Ellie Marks is the founder and president of the California Brain Tumor Association. You can learn more about cell phones and the risks associated with them by visiting our Green Street News website and clicking on this week's show. That's going to do it for this edition of Green Street News. If you missed any part of the show, you can always catch it wherever you get your podcasts or on our program website, greenstreetnews.org. And if you have an environmental news story you want us to cover, please email us at radio at grassrootsinfo.org. Thanks for listening. 